Is there a bottle of water around anywhere? I could... James 1. James 1. We're going to start out in James 1. Thank you. We're responsive tonight, aren't we? You guys got quiet on me for a second. You know, a quiet church is a dead church. We're not a dead church, amen? I think uh, you coming out tonight, you're going to uh, be happy you came out tonight. Because the Holy Spirit's not going to disappoint. And this is His service, not mine. He's going to speak to me tonight and teach to me tonight, and we're going to get something tonight, amen? So James 1, 22. You can be glad you came. James 1, 22. It says, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving who? Deceiving who? Verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Verse 25. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, well, that's the word of God, and continues in it, and is not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. Amen? Yeah. Now let's look at uh, James chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 17. James chapter 2 and verse 17. It says, Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. In verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Let's read verse 26. It says, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Now let's look over at John, the gospel of John. The gospel of John. I'm a priest tonight. I just can feel it. I'm going to preach. I'm going to have to take off this coat and get just as crazy like Bishop Jackson here tonight. I can feel it. Y'all didn't know I was black, did you? You knew it. I've always wanted... I was always disappointed that I was born white. I was, I was a little upset about it when I came out white. John 4... John 4, and let's, uh, let's read in verse 34. Jesus said to him, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to finish his work. And verse 35, And do not say there are still four months, and then comes the harvest. But behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes, and look at the fields, for they are ready, already white for the harvest. Let's read that again. It says, Do not say there are still four months, and then comes the harvest. No, behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Amen? Tonight I'm going to preach a message I preached a couple weeks ago upstairs. And, it, and since then, I've gotten even more from the Holy Spirit, so I decided I should preach it down here. And I was going to go a different direction, but God was just talking to me more and more about uh, this message. So I'm going to preach it tonight. Is that okay with you guys? So the time of my message is do something. Do something. Look at your neighbor and say, do something. Do something. Look at your other neighbor and get a little bit more aggressive with it and say, do something. <clears throat> Come on, Miss Donna and Paul, you're getting a little too aggressive over there. You know, this message God put in my heart, and usually... Well, not usually, every time I preach a message is because God's preaching me that message first. So I don't preach this stuff out of random books. I preach what God's preaching to me, and I feel like if it's good enough for me, it's good enough for everybody else. So when I'm preaching this, know ahead of time, I'm the first one to get my altar call tonight as I preach this message. And I'm kind of telling on myself because this is what God's been sharing with me about. So if I know he's sharing this with me, it'll be good for everybody. So I'm not preaching this from a standard like, I'm all that in a bag of chips and you guys are horrible. I'm preaching this from, hey, I'm going to be up in the altar call first. I'm going to be crying. I'm going to come to the minister's uh, thing and let him lay hands on me tonight because I need it. I need this message. 
And you know what? Messages that uh, God is speaking to you in that moment are life to you and life to others. Messages you just found in uh, Sermon.com or on uh, Facebook or in a relevant magazine are not life to anyone. But messages that God is speaking to you, a rhema word from God, are going to be not only life to you but life to others. So we're talking about do something tonight. And, you know, for our church and the Cory, you know, I was speaking to the Cory when I first shared this, but this pertains to our whole church. You know, our church is stepping into the greatest season of harvest we've ever been in. I don't know if you believe that. I don't know if you speak that. I don't know if you uh, are just satisfied with where you are, but I'm not. And I'm believing our church is stepping into the greatest season of harvest we've ever been in. Not just financially, not just with health and healings, but with people. People that need Jesus, people that need, need to be touched by God's power and God's love. That's what I'm talking about. And it's our greatest season of harvest. We're stepping into it right now. But you know, we can talk about it all we want and never do anything about it and nothing will ever happen. You know, I was thinking about this because I've been saying stuff like this for a while and God said well you can keep saying it all you want but if you don't ever step out and do anything nothing will happen now I'm not saying you're not supposed to make faith confessions because we know we are supposed to make faith confessions but you got to put some action with that faith you're speaking out of your mouth or nothing happens so so we've been doing a good job saying Lord send the harvest but we're just not willing to go get the harvest that's the response I thought I would have when I said that I'm speaking to myself here tonight. I'm up, I'm up there in my office praying, God, send the harvest. But I'm not willing to go get out of my office and go get the harvest. That's our issue. Faith is not, not the problem here, making faith confession. It's us getting off our, off our behinds and going and get the harvest that's available for us. Because the harvest is ready. The harvest is ripe. But you know what? The harvest can be ripe and nobody go... P- pick the harvest and, and nothing happens you know any, any good farmers know that their, their crops could be ready to grow but if nobody's out in the field grabbing the stuff there's no harvest to be had even though the harvest is ready and white, right and ready to be taken if nobody goes and gets it nothing will happen so we can talk about change and that's good because I've been talking about change for a while now and you see some little Little things happening here and there, here and there. Little movements, little things, but that's not good enough. We can keep talking about change, but never being the change we want to see. You know, God is moving. I don't know if you realize that, but God is moving not just in southern Indiana, but he's moving all around the world. And I know we can get in such a mindset. I've been there more, more than one time that you can get in such a mindset. You think about southern Indiana, Louisville area, and you forget about the rest of the world. And you don't realize that God is doing massive, amazing things around the world, and you don't even know what's going on. And you can think, man, God's not doing much. Man, this world is, is running this thing. No, God is doing amazing things out of the world. You've got to open up your eyes and see it. And God's no respecter of persons. If he would do it in Africa, or he'd do it in California, or he'd do it in, in China, he would do it here. But it's called those people didn't just talk out of their mouth. They actually did something with what God had said in his word. You know, God is moving. And you know, the the part that really is kind of upsetting is God is moving. And you you can't stop the move of God, but you can miss the move of God. Are you here tonight in this Presbyterian Assembly of God church? You can't stop the move of God, but you can miss the move of God. And that's what's a scary thought, that people could be in a church saying they're worshiping God, but they miss what God's doing. I don't want to miss what God's doing, because God's up to something. See, I don't know, I don't think some of you realize, because, you know, I do a lot of, you know, study and research about different churches, and, you know, I'm always on the internet, especially with taking Bible college classes, looking at different things, and there's all sorts of things going on around the world. God is moving in countries all around the world. We're not talking a couple thousand. We're talking millions. We're talking billions. You know, Reinhard Bonnke in Africa in the past 10 years has had over 70 million salvations. 70 million. One man in Africa. 
and we're over here, you know, trying to just get one person to come to church. I think we got our perspective wrong. If God could do it in Africa, he could do it in the United States. You know, the, the difference between us and Reinhard Bonnke is he actually does something with the word of God. He doesn't just talk about it in his church with the four walls. He actually gets out of his church and does something with what the Word of God says. And he's bold enough and full of faith enough to step out on the promises of God and do something. And you know, when you do something, God is there to back you up. Many of us are saying, God, come come anoint me, come bless me, but we're not willing to step out. He has nothing to bless. Oh, it's too quiet in this church tonight. James 1, let's look at James 1. I can tell you guys are already being blessed. James 1. I'm preaching to myself first. James 1. James 1, and let's start in verse 22. It says, for anyone who is a hearer of the word and not a doer is like a man observing himself or his natural face in the mirror for he observes himself, goes his way and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Let's look down back at verse 22. It says, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. You know, this is probably the biggest deception in the church. It's not the devil. Hello. I mean, Dad's been talking about uh, demonic power and demons the past several weeks, and that's real, but most of the church's problem is not the devil. It's himself. It's because they go to church, and they think by them hearing the word that that equals them doing the word. And it doesn't equal that. And especially us that have been raised in church our whole life, just because we hear it, we think we get the result of it just because we heard the message and we agreed with it and we nodded our head. But that doesn't equal having the word. You've got to do something with what you hear to get the results that you just heard at church. And then we go outside of church and say, you know, that stuff that pastor preaches from the word doesn't work. You know, that church stuff doesn't work. I stood on the promises of God and it didn't work. No, you've been deceiving yourself. Because you didn't do the word, you just heard the word. And you thought that was going to equal you having what the word has to say. And notice it says, you're deceiving yourself. You're not deceiving anybody else. That's a sad thing I've seen in church. I've seen people that have come, 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 come. And they're deceived, but everybody else around them can see it. Can see it. Why are you so deceived? Why do you keep on coming and there's no results in your life? Because you're only a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word. You know, I would go do something else with my time. If I was just going to come to church and keep hearing it and not doing it, there's more, more uh, better things to do tonight. If I'm not going to get any results, if I'm not going to get any fruit, I'd rather go play golf tonight. Let's not, let's not waste my time and come out. Can we be real tonight? We, this is real talk. This is real talk Tuesday. Real talk Tuesday tonight. Hey, we got to talk about this. You know, this message is, is not... It's not a condemning message. It's not to beat yourself up. But you know the word of God says, examine yourself whether you be in the faith. So not to examine yourself to condemn yourself, but examine yourself to see if there's things I need to change here. Because maybe all this time I've been deceiving myself. That's why I'm not getting any results. Woo! All right. Tough crowd tonight. All righty. Let's look at uh, chapter 2, verse 17. I'm just kidding, you guys. Chapter 2, verse 17. It says, Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Verse 26. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also you know this is something that we've left off in the faith message because actually faith needs to be three places not just two you know a lot of us got the hey, faith in my heart faith in my mouth but faith's got to need to be in your actions too 
So faith doesn't just need to be in your heart and in your mouth. It needs to be in your actions if it's real faith. I love James. He just breaks it down. He says, if you don't have any works along with your faith, you got dead faith. You got lifeless faith. Like I, I, I said a couple weeks ago, I said you got bogus faith. It's not real faith. Because he said if you got legitimate faith, then you're going to do something about it. You know, in the context of this in James 2, it's talking about someone who says they have faith and they see somebody in need. Yes, quiet, just like I thought. They see somebody in need who is in need of help. Not just physical needs, not just emotional needs, but their, their essential need, which is Jesus. And they go by and they don't help. They don't say anything and they say, go your way. And James says, if you're that person and you say you've got faith and you don't do something about that person who's hurting, your faith is dead. Your faith is bogus. Let's not, let's not come up to church and act like you've got faith if you ignore the people that are hurting in your life. If you really had faith, you would do something. That faith that's in your heart, if you really got faith in Jesus, he's come in and he's given you a new heart. So you got a new heart. And that new heart's going to motivate you to do something about people who are in need. People who are hurting. People who do not know Jesus. People who need to know him. You would do something if you had real faith. That's the key, if you had real faith. Not just fake, I come to church faith. Not just speaking to the mountain faith and I don't help my neighbor faith. Hello, somebody. So faith is not only in your heart or in your mouth, it should be in your actions. If it's real faith. You know, this is, I just, I like hearing people talk and I like quoting them back when I preach. And this is some of my favorites. I'm going to do something. I'm going to get involved at church. I'm going to help my neighbor. I'm going I'm to get involved in tithing and offering giving. Down the road, when I get a little bit older, when I got some kids, or, you know, maybe after I got kids, you know, I'm going to wait till I retire to get, get involved and do something. You know, it's when, when my due season comes up, when all my ducks get in a row, when my ship comes in. Then I'm going to do something about what the Word of God says. Then I'm going to get involved in the ministry of helps at church. Then I'm going to help my neighbor. Then I'm going to open up my mouth to my, my co-worker about my faith. Then I'm going to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. When my due season happens. When I get in the will of God. When I get in the plan of God. And those are all excuses for you not doing the Word of God. You need to know this. It's always your due season to do something. It's always your due season to do something. <laughs> there's, never, there's never a call of God on your life. Like, what are you called to do? I'm not called to do anything. That's not in the Word of God. You're not hearing the right voice. You're listening to Satan himself. So if you see a believer who's doing nothing with their faith, they're not in the will of God. Because you know the will of God is going to have you do something. Here's, here's another one I like. I, I like. You know, people, people use this because they, they want to use this as an excuse for not doing anything. They want to say, you know, I'm just praying out the will of God, so I'm waiting to move around. And, and what they're really waiting for is a, is a burning bush moment. <laughs> they're waiting for God to come down in their library with fire and smoke and a loud voice like James Earl Jones and rainbows and butterflies and saying thus saith the Lord you're going to Africa all expenses paid you're going to be on a luxury jet you're going to live in the nicest hut in all of Africa thus saith the Lord go right now and that's what most people are waiting on to do something you know a lot of times that's not going to happen but you know what there's something better than that some of you are saying, I'm waiting to get in the will of God so I can do something. He gave you his word, which is his will. The word of God is the will of God. So go ahead and start doing this book right here. 
Stop making excuses that I'm just waiting to get in the will of God. You have these 66 books to get in the will of God. Go ahead and start doing this. And you know what? If you start doing this, he might give you an experience like that. But if you don't obey his first instructions, why would he give you something else that you can't do? I'm too real tonight. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So that's the thing. We need to stop making excuses and say, hey, this is the will of God right here. I can do this tomorrow. I can start tomorrow. He didn't have to call me to Africa, Asia, China. In the word of God, it says I need to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. I don't need a special calling for that. The word of God has called me to do that. You know, what, what, what I've been praying about all day is that this message would get up on the inside of you and bug you in a good way and motivate you to do something. <laughs> that you need a godly urgency tonight. We need a godly urgency to sweep over our whole entire church and to wake up from the stupor we've been in. And I'm praying that this message is going to do it by the power of the Holy Spirit, that there will be a godly urgency that says, I cannot wait any longer to wait to do something for God. Now is the time to do something. I've been called to the kingdom for such a time as this. And now is the time, and this is the due season, and now is the harvest time. I can't keep sitting on the sidelines. i got to do something. You know what? That is the only fulfilling life on the planet. You're wondering why you're, you're depressed all the time. You're wondering why you're unfulfilled. Why? Because you're not doing anything. And God hasn't called you to do nothing. He's called you to do something. And that's where your purpose is. That's where your destiny is. That's where your joy is. In doing something for the kingdom of God. Doing something that's going to outlast your lifetime. Doing something to build the church. Because Jesus is only building one thing on the planet. And that is his church. So if you're not building his church, what are you doing? At the end of time, it's not going to mean anything. Are you here tonight? <laughs> Godly urgency. That's what's on the inside of me. A godly urgency. You know, now's the time. I can't keep waiting. You know, a lot of young people have the excuse. You know, I got the whole life ahead of me to do something. Why do I got to do it now? No, you can start right now. How much more can you get accomplished when you start when you're 24 years old instead of to wait until you're 55 years old? <laughs> I'm going to do something right now. I'm not going to use that excuse. I got the rest of my life to do something. I'm going to do something right now. Because now is the time. And now is the season. And this world is dying as we sit in our four walls. Right now is the time. I'm not going to let... IUS, Ivy Tech, all these high schools and middle schools go to hell and me wait till I'm 50 years old to do something for God. I'm going to do something right now. I'm okay. We're okay. Let's look over at John 4. Let's look over at John 4. John 4. I don't know about you, but I... Let's read John 4. John 4, verse 34. And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And verse 35, and do not say, Look, even these disciples were saying it. One day I'm going to help, help out. One day I'm going to do something. They said, There's still four months and then comes the harvest. That's what the disciples said. That's what a lot of Christians say. Give me a couple years, God. I'm, I'm trying to do my own thing right now. I really don't got time. 
wait till I'm retired and I got a little more money, a little more time to give at church. But Jesus said, Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. They're already white for harvest. The harvest is already white, is already ready. But we're over here saying, Give me four months, give me a couple years, then I'll do something. When I get out of this season, I know I got a lot of young kids right now. I got some teenagers right now. I need to work that out. Then I'll get involved back in church. Then I'll start sharing my faith again. You know what? The enemy will put stuff into your life that you will never do anything the rest of your life. And once your kids grow up, he'll give you another thing to, to occupy your time. And then when you retire, he'll give you another thing. And then you'll look back when you're 80, 90 years old and say, I didn't do anything. Because the devil will keep putting stuff in your life. I got to do this. I got to focus in on school. I got to focus in on this. I got to focus in on that. God, give me a couple more years. Give me a couple years. And those couple years end up 50 or 60 years down the road, and we're 80, 90 years old, and we did nothing. I don't want to waste my life. You know, we only get one shot at this, and I don't want to waste. You got to realize only what's done for Christ is going to last at the end. You know, when it says the harvest is white, you know, when the harvest is white, that means if the harvest is not picked right then, it can be lost. It can be lost. And number one, I put down here, I put three different things I'm going to talk about here. Is number one, if we want to do something, we can't miss our opportunity. Number one, if, if we're going to do something, we can't miss our opportunity. And that's what the disciples didn't get. They were missing their opportunity, trying to make excuses. And Jesus finally had to say, it's ready right now. And if you don't grab the opportunity right now, you might lose the harvest. Church on the Rock, can I speak to you boldly tonight? If we don't act right now, we could lose the harvest. When the harvest is white, it has to be picked. And if it's not, it's lost. Let me read this from the message real quick. It says in John 4 and 34, I'm going to read this from the message. It says, Jesus said, the food that keeps me going is that I do the will of the one who sent me. Finishing the work he started. As you look around right now, wouldn't you say that there's about four months till it'll be harvest time? Listen to Jesus' response. He said, well, I'm telling you to open your eyes, take a good look at what's right in front of you. These fields are ripe, and it's harvest time. These fields are ripe, and it's harvest time. You need to get that in your spirit. The fields are ripe, and it's harvest time. And if we don't take advantage of the harvest time, we could lose the harvest that we were supposed to have. Why? Because we didn't do anything about it. We just stayed within the four walls and confessed that people were coming to church on the rock. But we're not willing to share our faith at the coffee shop. Don't miss your opportunity. I love it. He told his disciples, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are ready, already white for harvest. So these disciples... Guess what? They didn't see the opportunities in front of them. So number one, if you want to do something, you can't miss the opportunities in front of you because they're there every day, but we don't see them. We see them, but we don't see them, if you know what I mean. And Jesus had to abruptly talk to his disciples and say, hey, wake up, look. The fields are ready right now. The opportunity's here right now, but you can miss it. You've got to open your eyes and see it because it's in front of you. You know, this is something that, that I've been doing since God's been giving me. We need to pray this every day. God, give me eyes to see the opportunities in front of me. God, give me eyes to see the opportunities in front of me. Because they're there every day. They're, they are there in abundance every day. But if we don't see them, we can miss them. 
And God's given us opportunities to do something about His Word, but we miss it. We miss those divine opportunities in our life. You know, a lot of times divine opportunities look like what every day looks like to you. A lot of times divine opportunities look like everyday life to you. That's why a lot of us don't see them anymore. We don't hear people's needs anymore. We don't see people hurting anymore because why? We've seen the same thing day after day after day. And we're missing the opportunities. It's right in front of us. If we want to do something, we can't miss those opportunities. Here's an example. I've been there a million times before. you got people in front of you, whether at work, school, wherever, complaining about their back is, is killing them. Man, do you have any medicine? Can you take me to the doctor? And then at nighttime, we're saying, God, please send somebody, send somebody in my life so I can lay hands on the sick and see him recover. The opportunity's right there, but you did nothing with that opportunity. I don't know about you, but I've, I've been there. But sometimes we don't see it. You know, I've had this numerous times, and I've missed it. And I'm repenting in front of you all, I've missed it. I've had people that are saying, I'm without hope, I'm without peace, I need something, I'm searching, and guess what? We keep our mouth shut. And God is putting that opportunity on a silver platter but we don't see it why because it's the same co-worker that's been getting on our nerves for the past couple years and we don't see it or it's the same person at school that's been bugging you for several months now but that is God divinely putting those people in your life so you can do something about it you know you're supposed to be in the world for a reason he said I've called you to be in the world but not of it and you're supposed to be in the world so you can take advantage of that and do something about those people that are hurting and in need. Number two. You guys still here? Don't become discouraged. Don't become discouraged. Number two, if we want to do something, we cannot become discouraged. You need to realize, don't think for one second, once you step out and start doing something for God, that the devil is not going to be happy about it. And a lot of people get discouraged so quickly and stop doing something. You better believe the devil's upset that you're doing something. Most of the, most of the Christians, he doesn't have to do anything with because they don't do anything anyways. But get, better believe it. If somebody who's actually doing something with the Word of God who's actually trying to help people out, who's laying hands on the sick, who's sharing their faith, who's loving others. He's going to try to send pressure to get you discouraged from doing something because people like that can change the world. So don't be discouraged. Once you step out because you get pumped up tonight and you go do something tomorrow and a bunch of doors slam in your face, guess what? The devil's not happy about it. And he's going to try to get you discouraged before you even get started good. You need to realize when there's doors slamming in your face and things happening like that, realize it's the enemy. Once you step out and say, man, I, I just started trying to help out at church and I don't feel like I'm doing a good job, you're already getting discouraged. Why, the enemy's upset about that. Because he doesn't want you to do anything. You know, Paul said there's a wide open door of opportunity and there's many adversaries. What does that mean? When I step out and start doing something for God, especially the, the bigger I step into some opportunities, there's going to be many adversaries around me trying to discourage me. Notice, it can discourage you, but it can't stop you. The enemy can try to discourage you, but he can't stop you. You know, the more doors slamming in your face and the more persecution you get, realize what it is now usually the time of the most consecrated or a concentrated uh, slamming in the face the persecution the suffering that is always usually right before your biggest breakthrough every time 
why the devil's trying to get you discouraged before you get that one person who's going to change the rest of the college. Before you get that one person who's going to change your whole business. And he's trying to get the first hundred to slap you in the face so you don't pursue the one. But you know if you ended up in a hundred people turned you down and one accepted what you had to say, it was worth it. So don't trip. Even if thousands deny what you're saying and one person made a decision to accept Jesus, it was worth it all. So don't be discouraged. You know, Galatians 6 says, don't get weary in well-doing. Now, why would Paul say that? (laughs) That there's a tendency in all of us when we don't see the results we want to see to get weary in well-doing, to get weary in helping others, to get weary in sowing, to get weary in doing this. But Paul said, don't get weary in it. I know you're going to want to. The enemy's going to try to discourage you. But guess what? In due season, you're going to reap everything you've been sowing. But that's if you don't give up. You don't quit. And the enemy tries to get you to give up before it's harvest time. But you know if you don't give up, you're going to reap everything you've been sowing. You guys still here tonight? Did you go to sleep on me? You know, here's the thing that people have said before. Is you'll become discouraged because the need is so big. You'll see all the lost people. You'll see something on TV that's disturbing. You're like, I don't even know what's going on here. I can't believe people will treat other people like that. You'll see the poverty. You'll see the suffering. You'll see the disease. And that's all discouragement to try to get you to not do anything about it. And I love there is a, I think he was a, he was a bishop of something in Mexico. I'm trying to remember his name, but. He, uh, they quoted him, Hillsong United, on their, their documentary called We're All in This Together. And he said, just because I can't do everything, I'm not going to refuse to do the something I can do. You need to make that decision. Just because I can't do everything, I'm going to do the something I can do. And it's significant what I can do. And that's the discouragement of the enemy to make you think that your little part doesn't matter. It's not important. But I'm not going to refuse to do the something I can do. You know, I told them upstairs because we've been given to charity water. And charity water gives clean drinking water in Africa. And there's billions of people over in Africa that don't have clean drinking water. I said, you know what? Many people would say, don't even give to that. Man, that needs too big. But you know what? Just because I can't give everybody in Africa clean drinking water doesn't mean I can't do something about it. Just because I can't heal everybody and pray for everybody in southern Indiana doesn't mean I can't do something. Just because we might not be able to reach every young person in this whole region doesn't mean I can't do something. See, that's an excuse that the enemy has slipped in. Oh, you don't need to help that person out financially. The poor you're going to have with you always. But you could do something. You might not be able to get everyone out of poverty but you can do something about somebody (laughs) and I'm not going to refuse to do something I can do that's been an excuse in the church for years you're always going to have needy people you're always going to have poverty stricken people you're always going to have this and that and that's true but that's not an excuse to sit aside and not do anything about people that are in need You know what, if the whole church had this idea that I'm going to do something, then everybody could potentially be taken care of. So that's not completely true. If the church globally thought, I'm going to do something about this, everybody in the body of Christ, you know, poverty could be blown away. Disease could be blown away. Lost people could, there would be no more lost people. If the church had the attitude, I'm going to do something. You know, I love this story about Lester Summerall. We love Dr. Summerall. A unique man of God. And that's my my great my great granddad, Dr. Lester Summerall. And you know, one uh one time he was he was going to John Osteen's church. How many know John Osteen? 
How many know my hair looks like Joel Osteen? <laughs> my hair looks like Joel Osteen tonight, but I'm not preaching like Joel Osteen tonight. But Joel Osteen, that's my brother right there. You can see the waves. <laughs> but he was, he had a driver from John Osteen's church taking him to John Osteen Church Senior, you know, to Lakewood back in the day. And I don't know how many people Lakewood had back then. Now they have 50,000, 60,000 people. Biggest church in the country. But back then he had about 10,000 or so. John Osteen. And Lakewood, they were going to Lakewood. And so the driver started talking to Dr. Sumrall, which was a bad idea to begin with. Now you've got to have some, some guts to be talking to Dr. Sumrall before he's preaching. And so, the driver was complaining to Dr. Summerall about John Osteen. And he said, he said, I don't, I don't get, because right uh, during that period of time, John Osteen was building a huge auditorium to seat thousands of people. And it was costing a lot of money. And uh, the associate was complaining and saying, you know what, Dr. Summerall, I don't, I don't know why Pastor John's doing this. He's building this. It's costing a lot of money, costing a lot of time, a lot of energy. He goes, don't you know Jesus is coming back soon? He goes, this building's not going to even be finished. So what's the point in starting this? Dr. Summerall looked, looked at him and said, God would be a lot more pleased with a building half built than no building at all. Why? Because he's actually doing something. Even if I get the building half built, at least I'm not sitting on my butt for the rest of my life waiting to Jesus to come back. Hello, somebody. And that's an excuse. You know, I'm waiting for Jesus to come back. Well, do something in the meantime. He left you down here on purpose, and that's to do something. I love that. He said, God would rather a half-built building than no building at all than Dr. Sermon just twiddling his thumbs to Jesus comes back. Why? Because John Osteen decided, I'm going to do something. Even if I don't see it completed in my lifetime, I'm going to do something about it. And you know what? Some things you might start, your kids might finish. Some things you might start, your grandkids might finish. Doesn't mean you don't need to start it right now. You know, Abraham started things that Isaac and Jacob and his seed finished. He never got to see the ending of it, but at least he did something. You know, every move on the planet, whether it be spiritual or otherwise, always starts with one person. Always starts with one person. We're cutting ourselves short. This thing in my little part's not going to matter. No, everything has started with one person. Your part matters. You need to realize that every one of you here and all the people that are not here tonight that need to hear this, their part matters. The future of the church matters on them you're just as important as mom is you're just as important as dad is you're just as important in the church as Dr. Dufresne is you're just as important hello as Kenneth Copeland is to the body of Christ you're just as important he might have more responsibility but he's not more important because when he does his part and Brother Sean does his part, and Miss Glenna does her part, and Jessica does her part, everything gets accomplished. And this is, there's, that's a religious thing that, that thinks it's the pastor's job to do everything, and I just come and I sit. And he's really in the ministry, but I just come and sit. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Hello, somebody. You're all in the ministry. Whether you want it to or not, you're all in the ministry. And your part is just as important as dad's part. You got to realize that your part matters. You guys who valet, your part is just as important. You guys who change diapers, your part is just as important. You guys who make copies, your part is just as important. You guys who do the sound, you guys who hand out bulletins, your part is just as important as dad speaking. Why? Because everybody's doing their part. Hey, we're all in this together. We're all in this together. Some people have more responsibility, but everybody has the same responsibility. 
we need to stop in the church being spectators and start being participators. For years and years and years, there's been buildings of thousands of people that think the ultimate Christian life is to sit my butt in the seat for a couple hours a week, and that's my Christian duty. The Christian life is so much more than that. I don't know who sold that lie to you, but the Christian life is so much more than a couple hours on Sunday and Tuesday nights. That's, that's where you just come, come and get pumped up for the rest of the week. You know, in Ephesians it says that you come to church to be trained for the work of the ministry. Not the pastor does all the work. He trains you guys to do the work of the ministry. So you're all in the ministry. I didn't know if you realized that, but you're all called and you're all in the ministry. I just ordain you right now in Jesus' name, all the above. But we got to choose to stop being spectators. You know what? The people that are spectators are always the critical ones anyways. Hello, somebody. They're always the critical ones because they just look at everybody else do everything else and just criticize. And they wonder why they're depressed and they're not fulfilled and they're critical of everyone. Why? Because they're not doing anything. And how many know it's a lot more fun to participate than to spectate? And God didn't call the church to spectate. He called all of us to participate in what he's doing. You know, number three. You guys, I got one more. Everybody good? Am I long-winded tonight? It's all good wind. I promise. Number three. If you want to do something, you're going to have to stop being indifferent. You're going to have to stop being indifferent. I'm a little fired up tonight, as you can see. But I just don't want to waste my life. You know, if this is just a game, if this is just you trying to get like a mediocre average church and a little white picket fence and no power, I'm really not into that. I'll go do something else in my life. There's a lot of other uh, more amazing things happening than that, if that's all it is. But there's so much more. There's so much more. The church should be running this thing. The church should be running this planet. But they don't take their authority. Why? Because we got too many Christians just sitting aside not doing anything. God's not called you to do nothing. He's called you to do something. You know, uh, Pastor Brian Houston of Hillsong, I love this, he said, great churches are not built on the gifts and talents of a few, but on the sacrifices of many. That's what I was talking about earlier. The church is not built on me, Brother Sean, and Dad, and Jessica. The church is built on all of us together. We're all in this together. It's not built on the gifts and talents of a few cool-looking people who can speak. It's built on the sacrifices of many. And every part's important. So when you sacrifice and you sacrifice and you sacrifice to build the church together, that's when you have a great church. That's when you have a church that's impacting your culture. A church that's impacting your community. A church that the whole city looks and says, what's going on at that church? Because they got something going on there. That politicians and pop stars and celebrities want to know about your church. Because you got something going on that's changing your city. And changing your community. And changing your state. But we got to stop being indifferent. Number three, stop being indifferent. You know, a lot of the church has become indifferent. And this is kind of the attitude, especially in the United States. I'll speak about the United States because I'm from the United States. Since we live in such comfort, such prosperity, we become indifferent to the needs of the world. And we ignore it because we've seen so much of it. You know, I talked about that on uh, the documentary film we, we watched the other night. Is They were talking about, which I totally agree with this, people have become indifferent in the body of Christ because why? They've seen it so much on TV and so many hurts and needs in the world and they just kind of tune it out. Why? Because if they actually cared about it, it would really make them upset. 
on a regular basis so they just tune out all the needs of everyone else but that has become a bad thing that's hurt us because we've tuned out the people that need our help we've stopped looking at the people that need us to look at them we've stopped listening to the people that need we need to listen to that they're crying out for help but we've tuned it out and become indifferent you know really being indifferent is just kind of this attitude I really don't care either way it's really being cold hearted you know in Revelations 3 let's look over there real quick Revelations 3 I appreciate you guys tonight I really do I love you guys I'm just a little fired up you know but if somebody doesn't challenge us we'll stay the same the rest of our lives if somebody doesn't step up and say something it's just going to keep going on and on and on but I got a divine mandate tonight to say something in Revelations 3 in verse 15 he's speaking to the church at Laodicea he says I know your works they are neither cold nor hot I could wish they were cold or hot see then because you are lukewarm you are neither cold or hot and I will vomit you out of my mouth now that's a refrigerator scripture right there if, I, if I've ever heard one that's, that's something you put on your daily confession sheet right there Father, I just thank you today. I'm neither cold nor hot. I am lukewarm. And you're going to spit me out of your mouth today. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hey, this is in the Bible too. Is it? Is it? And this is red letter. Jesus speaking. But, you know, Laodicea, out of all these churches, you know, there's seven different churches talked about in Revelation. And a lot of them are are having like really gross, nasty, horrendous sin that we would think of. And Laodicea is right up there with the rest of them. See, a lot of us think, especially in the church world that, that have been raised in the United States, is just because I'm not doing anything bad, I'm okay. I'm doing good. I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm just not, I'm not doing the big nasty sins. I'm just doing okay. You know what? You're not doing anything at, at all. It's just as bad as you doing those big nasty sins. Whatever you would call big nasty sins. They're all sin to God. But you sitting and not doing anything the rest of your life is just as much sin as, as you sleeping around. It's just as much sin. But some reason we have this in our head, just because I'm not out there getting nasty all, every week, that I'm okay. You doing nothing is just as much sin as that. And notice Jesus dealt with this church in Laodicea, which they weren't like the other churches just sleeping around and getting big and nasty. Hello, somebody. But they weren't doing anything. They had become comfortable. They had become indifferent. And Jesus rebuked them just like he rebuked the other churches for living crazy lives of sin. You notice he said, you're not cold nor hot, you're lukewarm. You know, Laodicea, the town of Laodicea, they were known for having lukewarm water in that town, stagnant water. You know, the towns surrounding them, there was two big cities surrounding them, and one place was known for its cool springs and one place was known for its hot springs. So the, the cold springs would, you know, it brought refreshing, it brought reviving to the people, it brought life. And there was another town nearby Laodicea that had hot springs that brought healing, that brought restoration. And notice Jesus said, you're not cold, you're not refreshing, you're not reviving anybody, and you're not hot either. You're not healing anybody, you're not refreshing anybody, reviving anybody, you're lukewarm. And lukewarm water doesn't help anybody. It's nasty. And the, the water in Laodicea was known for being lukewarm and stagnant water where you cannot drink it. It had no life in it. They, they would have to ship water into Laodicea because the water was lukewarm. And Jesus said, you're just like your water, Laodicea. Your church is. Why? Because you're not doing anything. You're lukewarm. 
You're not helping anybody. You're not refreshing anybody. You're not healing anybody. You're just stagnant water that's dead. I don't want to be a stagnant dead church. You know, this water became dead and stagnant. Why? Because things, water was going into Laodicea, but it wasn't going out of Laodicea. You know how the Dead Sea is the Dead Sea? It's because water goes into the Dead Sea, but it doesn't go out. You know, the quickest way to become a dead, stagnant church is you keep receiving, but we're not giving out. We become indifferent. We become lukewarm. We become stagnant. And we don't realize, we're like, man, why don't I feel God's presence anymore? Why don't I do this? Why? Because you keep receiving, but you're never giving, giving out. And that produces dead. That produces dead, stagnant, lukewarm water. We got to talk real talk tonight, church. <laughs> I don't want to be lukewarm like Laodicea. That's just become dead and stagnant. It's, yeah, you're going to heaven. Awesome. Laodicea was going to heaven, but they weren't doing anything in the meantime. They had become a dead, stagnant, lukewarm church. And Jesus said, I'm going to spit that kind of church out. That doesn't please me. A church that just is receiving and receiving and receiving and never giving out. That's what makes you dead. So can I talk real talk tonight, Church on the Rock? I don't know how many years. A lot of you have been in here for years and years and years. Receiving and receiving and receiving and receiving. And most of you could have a doctorate in theology for the amount of words you know. But when's the last time you gave some of that out? When's the last time you gave all that word out? I, I appreciate you guys praying in tongues a few hours, but when's the last time you gave that out to somebody? I'm glad you have 25 notebooks of all pastor's sermons, but when's the last time you gave that out? Because Jesus says you're dead if you're not giving it out. You're just like the Dead Sea. Keeps coming in, but nothing's coming out. We're over here complaining, God, I don't feel your presence. Man, I don't even like coming to church anymore. Why? Because you keep receiving, you're not giving anything out. We become indifferent. Let's look over at Romans 12. I'm almost done. So you don't realize the way the kingdom works is different from the way the world works. The way the world works says the more you give, the, the less you're going to have. But the kingdom says the more you give, the more you're going to receive. And we don't realize if we give what we already have, God's going to give us more. Amen. He's not going to hold out on us. But we think the more we give out, the more we're going to be drained and depleted. No, the more you give, the more you're going to receive. And if you don't work that principle, you're going to be a dead believer. You're going to make it to heaven. But you're not going to affect anybody on earth. Now, Romans 12. Romans 12. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your reasonable service I love that word which is your reasonable service which means when you think with your brain and your logic and your reason and you think about what Jesus did for you the reasonable response is I give everything to him the reasonable response <laughs> so that's as I close tonight if after all that you said Man, I still I'm I'm still feeling pretty good, feeling really comfortable. I really don't care about anybody else but myself. Then you haven't met Jesus. Or you need to reintroduce yourself to Jesus. <laughs> or you need to see the cross again. And see what he's done for you again. Because when you look at that, it's going to motivate you to do something. You know a lot of you could could be so which I told you tonight, I'm not trying to condemn or guilt anybody to do anything because guess what? If you're guilty or condemned to do something tomorrow because of what I've said tonight, it won't last. It lasts a couple weeks and then you'll be back to your old ways. 
That's not what I'm trying to preach tonight. I'm trying to preach if you really see Jesus and you really know Jesus, it's going to motivate you to do something. Nobody's going to have to tell you to do something. You're going to do something. Why? Because you're going to love what Jesus loves. And what Jesus loves is hurting people, is lost people, is broken people. And if he's on the inside of you, your response is going to be, i got to do something about this. I can't keep turning a blind eye to this. i got to do something. I love it. It's your reasonable response. You know, guilt and condemnation will only motivate you for weeks at a time. But love will motivate you for a lifetime. That's why if you already got that in your head and you wonder why you you get on the word for a couple weeks at a time and you get on the word for a couple weeks at a time and you keep going back and forth, you're doing that out of guilt and condemnation and not out of love. And you falling in love with Jesus is going to be the only lasting change in your life. Not because you change just because you feel guilty about yourself or condemned. No, the only lasting change is when you see Jesus. And not see Jesus once in your life, but every day. That the gospel means something to you every day. It didn't just mean something to you 20 years ago when you got saved. No, it means just as much and more today than it meant all that them years ago. And what you're not motivated by guilt to help others. Or so you feel a little bit better about yourself. You're motivated by love. And you really love them. You know, people can tell whether you're doing it out of charity, guilt, or if you really care about the person. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a fake believer. One last verse, Isaiah 6. sure appreciate you guys coming out tonight (laughs) Isaiah 6 Isaiah 6 and verse 8 it says also I heard the voice of the Lord saying whom shall I send and who will go for us and then I said Isaiah said to God he said here I am send me you know the bottom line here is God's not looking for the most talented gifted special people on the planet he's looking for people that are available he's not, he's not looking for ability he's looking for availability hello somebody you know what when you step out and say God I'm available to be used then his divine ability comes upon you to do everything he's called you to do so I know some of you guys in your minds are already thinking, you know, I'm just not, I'm not gifted, I'm not bold, I'm not talented, I can't do this, I can't do that. God's just looking for available people. You know what, most of the really gifted people have decided to choose their gifts over God. You know, I love in 1 Corinthians, it says, God is using the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Why? Because they love themselves more than they love God. God's just looking for available vessels. But you got to be like Isaiah. He said, here I am, send me. You know, when you say that to God and you mean that with all your heart, God's got to send you. God's got to bring those divine opportunities. God's got to take that cold, indifferent heart out of you. And that doesn't mean you're going to Africa tomorrow. It means you're going back to work tomorrow. But there's a difference you walking into work tomorrow. There's a different person than was there yesterday there's a different person walking into school tomorrow than went today and that's a person who's decided that I'm going to be available to God and when you're available he brings his ability upon your availability let's, uh, let's all close our eyes and bow our heads for a second here as I close tonight I just it's been on my heart so strong as you can tell tonight I've been fired up but it's our time church to do something let's not miss it let's not miss it 
But we need to have a people that say, you know what, I might not be the most talented, gifted, whatever, but I'm available. Here I am, God, send me. So as we close tonight, I know a lot of us, we're we're believers here, but I want to pray over you guys. And just if you mean that tonight, if this message meant something to you and you say, God, here I am, send me. I've been focusing on myself for some reason for a long time now. And I realize it's not about me. It's about all the other people in this world who don't know you. Just with every head bowed, every eye closed. I want you to lift up your hand right now if you mean that. You say, here I am, God, send me. I'm available and I want to do something for you. I want to do something for you, God. Here I am, send me. Because when you say that and mean that, he's going to open those doors, open those opportunities to you. Father, I just pray right now you see our hands. And more importantly than that, you see our hearts. And we're saying here tonight, God, as a church body, we are available to you, Jesus. It's not about us anymore. It's not about us or what we want to do. It's about you and your kingdom. It's about doing your will on this earth. And we know that's the only fulfilling life. That's only the only lasting life. Is living for others. Father, we just thank you tonight that you're going to send us. That we're going to go into our workplace, to our neighborhoods, to our schools, to our communities. And Father, we're going to be the light. We're going to be the salt of the earth. Father God, we are not going to sit aside and let people that are hurting and broken and in need go by us, but we're going to do something about it. With your strength, with your power, Jesus. Father, we thank you right now that we're available to you. We thank you for your divine ability, your divine grace upon us to do everything you're calling us to do. We thank you, Father, that when we step out, we know that your power and ability is with us. Father, we just thank you right now for sending us. We thank you, Father God, for this not being a temporary change, but being a lasting change. Not for a few weeks or for a few years, but for a lifetime that we're going to serve you not out of condemnation or guilt, but out of love. We love you, not because we have to, but because we want to. We thank you, Father God, for sending us tonight. Father, we are are a church crying out for the harvest. We say, God, that you would send the harvest to us and that we would be the laborers out in the harvest getting the harvest that is ripe. We thank you, Father God, for that. We thank you, Father God, for a revival for our church. We thank you for a revival for our city, for our schools, for our workplaces. We thank you, Father God, we're not going to be satisfied with anything less than seeing this community changed, this city changed, and affecting people for you, Jesus. We won't settle for anything less. Father, we just ask you right now, you see our hearts We don't want to be a lukewarm church. We don't want to be a stagnant dead church in the water. But we want to be a church that is flourishing and vibrant and refreshing and healthy and healing the needs of people. We thank you, Father God, for it. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. Mother, that's all I have.